so this is what we're doing. Welcome to our 2023 Pi Auction for Missions. We're going to launch right into it because we have a lot of ground to cover. So every year, we focus on doing a fundraiser specifically for the 1040 window. This goes back 25 years for us. They, the missiologists came up with this term called the 1040 window. And here's it is. I'll throw it up on the screen. And it's a, a strip of the world, a window of the world, 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north through Africa and through Asia. And I'll tell you who lives there. 50% of the world's population lives there, 80% of the world's poverty, and 93% of the unreached peoples, the peoples that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. But here's the other side of that equation. When it comes to the church, we only send 3% of our missionaries into the 1040 window, and only 7% of our missions giving budget. So we scratched our head about 25 years ago, and we thought we should do something different, and we should make that our main focus and send the majority of our money into the 1040 window. So we've been doing this for 25 years. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to make an announcement you haven't heard before. We passed a milestone in 2022, and we have now contributed in the lifespan of the church to the missions cause around the world. Are you ready for this number? 10 million dollars. We surpassed that number. I know proud, pride is a sin, but I'm going to be a bit prideful today because I just am so proud of you that you have stepped up and just done such an extraordinary thing. So this year is going to be a little bit different. So our, my message tonight, today, is called For a Few Dollars More. Now, some of you who are movie buffs are going to recognize that name. Let me tell you the story and where we're going with this. So back in the 60s, there was an Italian movie director by the name of Sergio Leone. And he created these things called spaghetti westerns. And they were called spaghetti westerns because they had Italian directors producing western movies in Europe for the American market. And so Sergio Leone came across a young upstart actor that he thought had a career ahead of him. And you may have heard of him. His name was Clint Eastwood. And he hired him, and he made three movies with Clint Eastwood, and they called them the Dollars Trilogy. And here they are. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. They were the fistful of dollars, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and for a few dollars more. Most of you probably recognize the good, the bad, and the ugly, but he did all three of these one year after another, and they were actually set in Texas, but they were actually produced in southern Spain. They had nothing to do with the U.S. whatsoever. People didn't notice. You can watch the movies, and you still won't notice. And they were a lot of fun, and of course, it made Clint Eastwood a star, and he played the man with no name which was sort of ironic because in each movie he had a name and a different one in each movie, even though he was playing the same character. Now, for my money, the best of the trilogy is for a few dollars more. And the story is great. I want to tell you the story. So you have a, a villain, and he's a Mexican bandito, and his name is El Indio. And El Indio is going to rob the El Paso Bank, and there's this bounty hunter the man with no name, played by Clint Eastwood, and another man, played by Lee Van Cleef. Here's the poster of this. And these two men, they gang up, and their job is to go and bring back the bounty for these banditos, as well as bring back the money from the bank. Now, here it is. They stole from the bank one million dollars. Everybody say, one million dollars. No, you're not saying that right. It, it's not $1 million. It's $1 million. So let me hear you say it. 
<laughs> thank you. There's a reason why we're saying it like that. And you're going to find out in a minute how important it is to, to this, this whole thing. So anyway, I don't want to ruin the movie for you. But Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood kill all the bad guys, get the bounty, and bring the $1 million back. How much money did they bring back? So, so here's, here's what we're going to do. I, I said that uh, we've raised $10 million over the course of our, our life as a church. And typically on Pi Auction Weekend, this is what we do. We raise somewhere between $300,000 and $350,000. And that's all our services, all our campuses. It's online and television audience as well. And so collectively, we're somewhere in the mid $300,000. It's a lot of money. It's nothing to sneeze at. But this year, we decided we were going to do a few dollars more. That's, that's what our goal is. And here's how we, what we ask people to do. Uh, we ask people to do this. We said, you know, we think every family could do a dollar a day. And the world lives on a dollar a day. Most of the world lives on a dollar a day. That's all they live on. And for us, a dollar a day, you lose a dollar a day in your couch every single day. A dollar a day is nothing to you. You would never miss a dollar a day. So we ask people, we want every family to do at least that. Now, a lot of people do three and $4,000. And we had, we had another, we had a pie sell this morning for $5,000, another one for $6,000. People really step up. But we think on average, everybody could have done a dollar a day or $365 a year and that's how we did this so this year we're gonna ask you to do a few dollars more and instead of one dollar a day or seven dollars a week we're gonna ask you to do a few dollars more and do ten dollars a week and so ten dollars a week over the course of, of years can be like five hundred dollars so we're asking every family to consider doing at least five hundred dollars and really stretching and if we do that then what will happen is you will contribute while we've done the math and we'll end up raising on this weekend $500,000, which is a half a million dollars. And this is what we're gonna do. For every dollar that is raised, we're gonna go into our savings and we're gonna double it. And so we're gonna take that $500,000 and we're gonna turn it into? One million dollars. So we have this audacious goal of giving a million dollars to the, the 1040 window this year. How many of you like that idea? And, and, and we will do it because we're already at, we've already had two services and we're already at, at record numbers on this. But I wanted to take you into the scripture for just a moment and I want to tell you this little story. So when the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land, Moses warned them about something. They were about to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. And, and Moses says this to them in Deuteronomy 8. He says, look, when you get in there, your, your, your crops are going to multiply, and your herds are going to multiply, and your gold is going to multiply, and your silver is going to multiply, and you're going to dwell in beautiful houses. And then your heart is going to be lifted up, and you're going to forget the Lord your God. And so he's warning them about that. And I'm going to pick it up in, in verse 16. And he says, Then you will say in your heart, My power and my might of my hand has gained me this wealth, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And he says, You've got to remember that this is not you that has the power to get wealth. It's me that gives you this power to get wealth. I sent you and brought you into the promised land. Now here's my question for you. If there is a promised land somewhere in the world, where is it? 
It's Canada. I don't know if it's Winnipeg, but it's Canada. It's Canada. I mean, we're living in the promised land, people. We have peace and we have prosperity, and most of the time we have democracy. We have a lot of good, we have a lot of good things going in in our land. The world envies Canada. And here's what I want to suggest to you. Don't think for a moment that the wealth that you have and the beautiful home that you dwell in is entirely your credit. Would you have that kind of a life if you lived in Rwanda or Somalia? And the answer is no, you would not. You only have that because you've worked hard in the land flowing with milk and honey in the promised land. And he says, don't you forget that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. And when we look at our lives, I mean, uh, we are so fortunate amongst people in the world. I'm, I'm going to give you some, some numbers on this. So don't put up your hand on this, but if you make $25,000 or more a year, which most people do because that's basically minimum wage, you are the wealthiest 10% in the world. You are wealthier than 90% of the rest of the world. If you own a car and a home, how many of you own a car and a home? How many? Let me see your hands. Be honest with me. How many? A lot of people in this room. You are the wealthiest 5%. You're wealthier than 95% of the world. If you make $50,000 plus, and again, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but, but most of you, or many of you do, you're the wealthiest 1%. You're wealthier than 99% of the world. So we need to remember that. I think we can do a few dollars more, don't you? I think we could step up and do a, a, a bit more and recognize. He said this. He said, the Lord gives you power to get wealth that you may establish his covenant in the earth. It's for a purpose so that we would share some of what we have to send the message of the gospel to the world. That, that's what he's telling us. So we have 25 projects that we're doing this year. I don't have time to go through them all. You can look on our website. They're all listed there. We're all over the world, particularly in the 1040 window. But I'm going to highlight six of them, because I only have so much time today. And I'm going to highlight six projects. Here they are. And they're uh, listed there. I'm going to go through them one by one and just tell you a little bit about them. I'm particularly excited about this first one. It's the Purse Riverboat Project, and it's in Brazil. So let's zoom into Brazil. Here's a picture of Brazil. You see the Amazon basin in this picture. It's the rainforest. It's a jungle. There's really no major cities whatsoever in this region of the world. And even though it's not in the 1040 window, in the Amazon basin, there's all kinds of people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have the Amazon River running through. You zoom in here, and you see that river running south from it? That's the Purus River. And the people who live along the Pyrrhus River there, it's this windy, windy, windy river, they are five to 10 days away from the nearest city by boat. And here's these communities. They live along this river, and they live in the water. And, and as you go along, there's all kinds of these communities. And these communities have never been colonialized. They've never had you know, significant contact with Europeans. And they've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Mennonite Brethren of Canada, you're going to love this story. They had some missionaries in Brazil that have a, a plan to reach these people. They don't want to colonialize them. They just want to bring them the gospel to their culture where they are. And what they want to do is they want to buy a boat and they want to go down the river and spend the next 10 or 20 years or whatever going down the river by this boat, a big boat with a medical clinic on it, bringing medical care to these people and bringing the gospel to all these little communities along the Purus River. And they asked us if we would buy them the boat. 
And I thought, you've come to the right place because we love boats in this church. <laughs> and I thought, we've never actually bought a boat in this church. It's about time. And I said, yeah, we're in. We'll buy a boat. And of course, I'm thinking, we're finally buying a boat as a church. And you know, I don't know what you're picturing. Here's what I'm picturing. This is the boat I was thinking about. <laughs> I thought, let's get them that boat. And we'll use it like for pastoral retreats and staff meetings. And look at the name of that boat. It's called the Rocket. Does it get any better for Church of the Rock to own the rocket? So I was hoping that was going to be the boat. That's not the boat. Here, here's the boat. It's similar. It's similar. <laughs> but it's probably more utilitarian. And it's a shallow bottom boat. And it'll be able to go down this river. And here's the coolest part of this story. This boat was the boat that was used for several years to bring supplies down the river to these communities. So they're all used to this boat showing up into their communities. And all of a sudden, the missionaries are going to be on this boat. And they're going to be bringing medical care. And they'll be sharing the gospel with these beautiful and wonderful people that have never heard the name of Jesus before. And I thought, we want to buy a boat. So we're putting $50,000 to that boat. How many want to do that? You can't even buy a fishing boat for $50,000. You know that? And I'm doing this, too, because sometimes people think I pick on the Mennonites. And it's not true, but it does boil back to the, to the four great religious truths of all time. See, the, the Muslims do not recognize the Jews as God's chosen people, number one. Number two, the Jews do not recognize Christ as the Messiah. Number three, the Protestants do not recognize the Pope as the head of the church. And number four, the Mennonites do not recognize one another in the liquor store. <laughs> Here I went and I went over all the Mennonites and then I lost them in one fell swoop. It's not my fault. That's very funny stuff, people. All right, so the first thing is the Paris River Project. I want to go a little bit further north. I want to go into Central America. And there's something going on there that I want to tell you about and we want to be part of. And I think you'll agree in a moment. So El Salvador, you may or may not know, is the single most violent country in the world. It is 10 times more violent than the United States, four times more violent than Somalia, three times more violent than Russia, for goodness sakes. This is a violent country. And there's a story behind it, which is quite remarkable. So back in the 80s, there was this civil war that was kind of started by the United States, if you want to know the truth. And they sent billions of dollars into El Salvador to provide arms and turn, overturn the government. And then there was these rebels uh, leftist rebels, and they fled north, and guess where they went? To the United States. And particularly, they went into the city of Los Angeles, and they began a gang there called the MS-13. The MS-13 is probably the biggest and most dangerous and violent gang in the entire world. And so now they've got a problem in Los Angeles. And so in 2000, Bill Clinton signed into law this bill to fast-track deportation of this gang, the MS-13. Are you ready for this? They sent and deported 40,000 Salvadorians back to El Salvador, all these criminals. Now, the, El Salvador didn't want them, but neither did the US. So they sent them out of the US. And you say, well, how did they round up these guys? How, how did they know what they were looking for? Well, it wasn't very hard, because if you're a member of MS-13, you tattoo the name on your body usually. Look at these pictures. Usually all over your body. So all of them are tatted up with this MS-13. They rounded up 40,000 of them, and they shipped them back to El Salvador. All hell broke loose in, in El Salvador, and, and the violence in the streets is crazy, the gang violence. The motto of the MS-13 is to rape, control, and kill. 
And of course, nobody was happy with this, so the government started rounding up these gang members that had now come by the United States and putting them into jail. And they're putting them into jail for like ever, 20, 30, 40 years. And there was a church about the size of ours in the capital city of San Salvador. And they said, you know, they, we're glad these people are off the tr streets. But on the other hand, we owe it to these prisoners to at least share the gospel with them. So they started going into the prisons and sharing the gospel, taking Bibles in and sending pastors in and chaplains in. And something happened. God moved in the prisons of El Salvador, and there is now 17 of the 21 prisons that have full-blown churches within the prison walls. Now here's a, a picture of one. If you look, you can see all the tattoos. You can see all these men worshiping God. Yeah, it's, it's a, and it's an incredible story. And, and then there's a church called the, sorry, it's a, it's a prison, but it's really turned into a church. This one here is, is called the San Francisco prison. And there's a thousand prisoners in this one prison and almost every single last one of these prisoners has come to Christ and is worshiping God and their lives are changed. And people say, well, maybe they're just faking it to get off for good behavior. There's no getting off for good behavior. They're in there for the rest of their lives and they are making a life in Christ. And I know people hear these stories and they look at these pictures and they have a hard time believing this is so. But you remember what the scripture says? It says, where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. And Kathy and I have seen this sort of thing personally. In the 90s, we were in Argentina and we went to a maximum security prison called Los Almas Prison. It was the first prison where this ever happened. And there was 3,000 prisoners in this, this old beat up third world prison. It was scary, I'm telling you, walking into that place, but we did. We went into this prison and there was 3,000 prisoners. Half of them had come to Christ. And we went into the chapel. The chapel was about half the size of this room. And we were standing at the front and they opened the doors and 900 Prisoners, murderers, rapists, extortioners flooded into this building and completely surrounded us. Kathy clutched my arm and said, where are the guards? I said, I don't see any guards, but if this doesn't, you know, if this goes sideways, I love you, honey. <laughs> you never know. You always have to be ready for your last moments, right? And uh, anyway, that's not what happened. They didn't kill us. Everybody bowed down and they worshiped God. And I remember we walked out of that, and I remember thinking to myself that this is probably the greatest miracle I've ever seen in my life. 900, well, 1,500 if they were all there, prisoners having full-blown church in a prison in South America. And I thought, if God can do this here, he can do anything anywhere. And he's doing it again today in El Salvador in 17 of the 21 prisons. Now, I have a little addendum to this story because it's kind of interesting. So this gang violence has been getting worse and worse and worse in El Salvador, and a new president was elected, and he was elected on a platform that he was going to end this thing with these gangs. And so he said he was going to have a zero tolerance program. They were going to round up every last one of these gang members. And so the first thing they did was they built a prison called the Mega Prison. Here's a picture of it out in the country. It holds 40,000 people. And then he put together this army of soldiers and they went out in the streets, like I said, they're easy to spot, and they rounded them up. One by one, they rounded these men up. They shaved their heads and they stripped them naked and they, they hauled them into this mega prison. That prison holds 40,000 prisoners. They have arrested 62,000 so far.
So the population, prison population, has gone from 40,000 to over 100,000 in just a few months. And I mean, look at the way they're crowded in. Look at how the way they're jammed in there. I mean, these pictures, they're, they're startling. And the human rights ag ag advocates are going crazy about this. And, uh, but the El Salvadorians, they're going, finally, we have some peace. We have some safety in our country. But here's what's happening. There's this, this church this, that I was telling you about, this big church in San Salvador, and they want to target this prison as well. And they want to bring the gospel to these new people. And so they said, look, we'll do the work, but we need Bibles for this. So we're going to give $50,000 for them to buy Bibles for these prisoners in El Salvador. How many are with me? So then some of you maybe heard this a few weeks ago. We had a speaker here, Ron Pearson. He was talking uh, about uh, Ukraine. And we all know there's this war going on in the Ukraine. And the army has asked for Bibles for their soldiers. And so uh, he started getting them produced and printed. And here's a picture of them. These are the uh, Ukrainian soldier Bibles. They're camouflaged. And so we have agreed to participate in this. And we're going to give $25,000 to this project. They're only 88 cents each. We can buy like 28,000 Bibles. Uh, for soldiers in Ukraine. How many want to do that? I thought you might. So then there's the traditional unreached people groups. So let me just explain that for a moment. Unreached people groups are ethno-linguistic groups that do not have the Bible in their language nor an indigenous church in their culture. And there's 6,700 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. 1,700 do not have Bibles. Therefore, they are unreached people groups. For the, so for the last 20 years, we've been participating in this, and we're doing our part, and we adopt every year unreached people groups, and we sponsor the translation of the Bible into their local dialect, whatever that might be. And we've done a bunch of different countries. We've done a, one in, in uh, Uganda. We've done one in Kenya. We've done one in Burkina Faso. Uh, we've done several in the country of Nepal, one in Indonesia. Today, we have two going on in India. We have uh, one in uh, Guinea-Bissau, and then we have one in Nepal. And when we were in Nepal, so a few years ago, some of you remember Kathy and I were in Nepal, and we met with our Nepalese. Do you have that picture there? So there I am, I'm speaking to that group. That group of people there are called the Kura people. And the Kura people are actually working on their Old Testament, and you and I are funding their Old Testament. They're a wonderful, amazing people. Look at they just are digging me, eh? They're just digging me. They don't understand a word I say, but they don't speak English, but they sure enjoyed me. Uh, so, so anyway, we have been working with those people. So while we were in Nepal, we met this man from Cameroon. And his name was Effie. And so here he is in this next picture here. And uh, Effie was headed up the Cameroonian uh, translation movement in that country. He was a wonderful man. He came just to visit in Nepal. We got to know him a bit. And he was just doing an amazing job of all these uh, unreached peoples in very rural areas of Cameroon. But then something really dreadful happened, and there's civil war, and Cameroon has become one of the most violent countries now in all of Africa. And it's, you know, it used to be like Rwanda and Somalia, and now Cameroon's one of these places. And they're dealing with tremendous civil war and tremendous violence, so much so that Effie's office got broken into, they murdered three of his staff, and they stole the safe with all the money for the projects. He lost $55,000 in three of his staff. And so they've just had the worst time. So this year, I was talking to our contacts. We work with a group called One Book Canada, and they're the ones who oversee these projects. 
And I said, where is the greatest need? Where's the least funded project that you have? And they said, well, that would be Cameroon. We, have, we don't have funding for Cameroon. I said, then we'll do it. And it's called the Ring Road Cluster. And it's four people groups all in a uh, you know, geographic cluster. And so we're going to be supporting them with $50,000 for that group in Cameroon. Now, this, is a, this next project is in Europe. And it's a particularly fun one for me. I think it's so fascinating. And it's the Romani people. Now, the Romani people, you might not recognize that name, but we know them as gypsies. They've been historically known as gypsies. They don't love the term. They think it's a pejorative term. Because if you say gypsy, you think someone who's cheap and a liar and a cheat and a fortune teller. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff was true. And uh, they've been in Europe for 1,000 years. And today, there's 10 million of them living in Europe. And they're travelers. They're nomadic people. And they've done DNA. They didn't know where they came from. They did DNA work. And they found out they're actually from northern India originally. And uh, what happens is, you remember some of these old pictures, right, of them tra traveling around in these wagons. And even today, in certain places like Serbia, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, they actually have you know, wagons like that. But typically, they live in situations more like this. They're in little trailer parks and trailer homes. And sometimes they're living in absolute squalor and beat up places. And uh, they're the kind of people, they don't register for the census, and they won't tell you what ethnicity they are. And they've been one of the most discriminated peoples in all of history. We all know that Hitler wiped out 6 million Jews during the Holocaust. And what we don't maybe remember is that he wiped out 80% of the gypsies, because he thought they were even worse than Jews. And so you have this population in Europe that's broke, and it's beaten up, and it's discriminated against, and they're considered like dogs. And all of a sudden, God began to move amongst these people. And they went from fortune telling to following Jesus. And there's a big church in Serbia of over 1,000 people. They call themselves, not my name theirs, they call themselves the Gypsy Church. And here's a picture of it. They meet in a big circus tent. And they have this mission to reach the uh, gypsies or the Romani people of Serbia. And they said, look, we'll do the work, but we need you to help us do it. And we want to ask that you would sponsor us uh, with church planters. And for $200 a month, we can send out a church planter. So we're going to be giving them $12,000 so they can go into these communities. They bring them food, and they bring them wood, and whatever they don't have, and they preach the gospel. And there's a great move of God going on in Serbia amongst the Romani people. So we thought that was a pretty cool project. Now, the last one I want to highlight in this little journey around the world is I want to talk about Ethiopia for a moment. Because if there was a single hotbed of the gospel somewhere in the world, it's actually Ethiopia. And it's really fascinating, because if you remember, the first non-Jewish convert was the Ethiopian eunuch way, way back when in Acts chapter 8. And so anyway, today, God is doing extraordinary things, so much so that it's almost hard to believe what's going on. And they are coming to Christ by the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands. And so we've been involved with this for the last several years. And what they're asking us to do is they said, we can train and send out a church planter for $100 a month. And that church planter, in a course of a year, will plant four, three to four churches in a year. So if you do the math, for $1,200, you can plant four churches in Ethiopia. So that's $300 to plant a church. Do you know what it cost us to plant our campuses, to plant those churches like Bronx Park and North End? $300,000 per. They can do it for 300 bucks. 
well, we might as well do that. It's cheaper. It's a better bang for the buck, right? And so I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what kind of church can you build for $300? You're not building a building. You just need a tree. And you say, what? Literally, that's what they do. They find a tree, and they plant a church under the tree. You just need a little shade for the kids, right? And they plant a church under a tree, and you can see these crowds of thousands and thousands of people coming. And then they, they, they're lining up and baptizing them for these lines in whatever water they have wherever. These lines go on for hours as people are waiting out in the sun to be water baptized. And I remember hearing these stories, and I'm thinking, is this all true? Are these stories true? How, 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 can, this, how can this be? These stories, they're, they're just so extraordinary beyond anything we're seeing anywhere else in the world. So then I had got this contact with a missionary from Ethiopia, Canadian actually, and he was back in Canada because he's a missiologist as well, and he was teaching a course on missions in Alberta, and so I was able to get his phone number, so I phoned him up. And I said, you don't know me, but here I am, and we're, we want to work with these groups that are working in Ethiopia. But the stories are so crazy, they're so over the top, that I don't know if I can believe them, but I want to make sure they're actually going on. And he said, Mark, I've been there for 30 years, and I can honestly tell you that the reports you're hearing are understated. It's way more significant than anything you're actually hearing, because no one will believe what's going on. And so I thought, well, we want to be involved with that. So we're giving another $50,000 to the church planters of Ethiopia. Well, there's lots more I could tell you about that, but I don't have time for it. And uh, like I said, there's 25 different projects. But we do have this audacious goal. How much do we want to raise this year? One million. No, you're saying it wrong already again. It's $1 million. Say it. I know you're embarrassed to say that like that, but we're doing it anyway because we're having fun. And the way we're going to do it is by giving a few dollars more. And I want to challenge every one of you to consider digging deep this year and doing at least $500 per family. It's only $10 a week. I know every one of us can do it. And let's not forget that it is the Lord our God who gives us the power to get well, that we may establish his covenant in the earth. Let's stand together, shall we? All right, thank you for going on that little journey with me. I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you could all bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Anytime we have a group this size together, there's people with us that actually haven't made this decision for themselves to be a follower of Jesus. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And uh, we're going to make it super easy. We're not going to single you out. You're not going to have to say anything publicly. You don't have to come forward like Billy Graham does. Just right where you are. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And my question for you is simply this. If you were to die today or tonight or this week or this month, would you be going to heaven? Do you know that? And if you can't say yes in your heart, if you're not sure about that, or maybe you knew him in the past, and you've slipped away and you've forgotten about him, maybe for you it's time to come back. And so we're going to make this really uh, anonymous. And uh, I want you to think about this. And if you're getting that tug in your heart right now, then you realize that you need to make that decision to have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, nobody's looking around, I want you to just slip up your hand. Just let me see it. Take a moment. Thank you, sir. Take a moment. Thank you at the back. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you at the front. Anybody else want to join these folks? Just take a moment by flashing up your hand. You're indicating, yeah, I want, I want to do that. All right, you can, you can all put down your hands. 
So we're going to say a prayer together, and we're all going to say it because I said I wouldn't single anybody out. But if you didn't put up your hand and you wished you had or you were embarrassed to or whatever, you can just pray along with us, and it's, a, it's the same difference, all right? So we would love you to be part of this as well. So let's pray together. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you that you died for my sin. And you washed it all away. And you separated it from me. And then you rose again on the third day. And you forever live to be my Lord. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Today I'm a new creation in Christ. Today I'm on my way to heaven. Today I'm a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a shout, shall we? And so the next one is a campfire s'mores cake. Chocolate cake with s'mores filling. Look at here. My goodness. Hi, you're a bit blind. I wonder what, what that one's going to bring. All right, who said about uh, 1,500? 15, now two. Holy 15, now two. Two out of air. Two out of air. Two out of Two out of air. Seventeen and a half. Fifteen and a half. Seventeen and a half. Now two. Two out of air. Two thousand. Two thousand bid. Now twenty-two and a half. Twenty-two and a half. Eleven and a half. Now five. Twenty-five and eleven and a half. Five. Five and a half. Twenty-five. Now seven and a half. Twenty-seven and a half. Eleven and a half. Yes, and now three. Three and a bear. Three bid. Three bid. Three where? Three thousand dollars. Three eleven and a three and a bear. At three thousand dollars and a three. Three and a bear. You can do it. We need another bidder. Three thousand where? Twenty-seven and a half. Three. Three and a bear. We missing anybody? We got a seller. They said sell them quick. Three thousand where? At three thousand dollars and a three and a bear. Let's call three thousand dollars and sold. Look at that. Our youngest buyer again.